Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us now as we reflect on Proverbs to understand your wisdom so that we may work wisely. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are 168 hours in a week. 168. Uh, most of us spend around about 50 of them asleep. About 7 hours a night times 7 is 49, about 50 hours uh, which leaves 118 waking hours. And for most of us, we spend a big proportion of those waking hours working. Uh, for some of us, maybe 40 to 60 hours working for money, or perhaps studying, or looking after a home and children. Uh, then on top of that, you've got, you've got housework, you've got shopping, and lots of other jobs to do. Maybe put in a few hours' work of ministry for the church of some kind. Uh, put it all together, and it's a big chunk of our lives. Well over half of our waking hours are spent working. Now, in many ways, that's a good thing. We were created. We were made to work. God put Adam in the garden to work it. I remember back in 2012, I had uh, long service leave and took five and a half months off. Started off fantastic. Was loving it, really enjoying it. By the end of five and a half months, I was climbing the walls. I was desperate to just get out of the house and, and go and do some work. W work is good. And, of course, work can bring lots of good things into our lives. Work can bring money into our lives. We, we develop friendships, relationships through work. Um, work can give us satisfaction of a job well done. But in this work, but in this world, work can also be hard, can't it? be frustrating, it can be painful, it can feel like you're going around in circles. Um, as I sit at my study, uh, sit in my study at my computer uh, typing, uh, working, uh, working on talks and so on, if I look out to my left, I look out the window and I can see my neighbour. Uh, every day she comes out, toddler in tow, and she hangs all the washing up all around the line. Every afternoon she takes it all down. Next day, do it again. Put the washing out. Take it down. As fast as you do the washing, the dirty clothes keep coming. The work is never done. Although, think about it, it's the same with what I'm doing. Every week I write a Bible talk, give it on the Sunday, and then it's like it never happened. Start again Monday morning. Work is good, but work can be frustrating. Work can be boring. Work can bring conflict, work can bring hassle and fuss. There's a lot to not like about work. Work is a big part of our lives and it can, it's a big part of the quality of our lives. It can bring joy, satisfaction, wealth, but it can also bring disappointment, frustration, conflict. And so, friends, it's well worth knowing God's wisdom on work. Don't you reckon? And that's what we're looking at this evening from the book of Proverbs. We're looking at God's wisdom on work. So as with other talks in this part of our series, what I've done is I've read through the whole book of Proverbs and, and, and I've picked out every proverb I could find that sounded like it had something to do with work. And then what I did, having picked them all out, I tried to think, what, what are the main areas that these proverbs are talking about? So I tried to categorise them into areas. You can see from your outline there, I've come up with four big areas, four points about work from proverbs. 
And, and then with each one, they've given you just a few sample proverbs. Not all the proverbs that apply, because there's lots and lots of them. But each just, just a few sample proverbs, hopefully enough to give you the idea. So you can see the four points there on the what they call the sans serif font, without the lines that go along the top. So point number one there, um, the God of work. Point two, godly work in a godly way. Point three, diligence. And point four, sacrifice. Can you see them? Can you see where we're going? Okay, so point number one. Point number one is the God of work. And the point here is this. God is in complete control of our work. God is the one who gives us our work. God is the one who gives us the ability to work. God is the one who gives us any strength that we need to work. He's the one who gives us every breath that we take. Any success that we have in our work comes from him. It's all a gift from him. On your outline there, you can see Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. And can you see there it talks about painful toil. Does that ring any bells for you, painful toil? It's a reference back to Genesis 3. Remember back in Genesis 3, God brought a curse on to Adam and Eve. And he said, he cursed the earth. He said it would produce thorns and thistles for Adam. And he said, therefore, it's only through painful toil that Adam would get food from the earth. Work can be hard and painful in this cursed, fallen world as part of God's curse on us. But this proverb tells us that it is possible that we could have success in work. It is possible that we could gain wealth from work. How is it possible? Only through the blessing of God. On your outline, Proverbs 10. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. God is in control. Uh, Proverbs also reminds us that we can make all kinds of plans, all kinds of schemes, all kinds of visions, but it's God's will that's going to be done. He's in control from chapter 19. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And so Proverbs says, what we need to do is commit ourselves, commit our lives and commit our work to God. We need to acknowledge that he is sovereign and we need to ask him to graciously bless what we do. From Proverbs 16, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Do, do you do that? Do you commit to the Lord whatever you do? Morning by morning, do you commit your day, commit your work, commit your life to God? Commit your plans to him. Say to him, God, you're the one who gives me everything. I commit myself and my plans and my work to you this day. I sometimes forget to do it, don't you? I sometimes do things, even things in Jesus' name, name like, like giving a Bible talk, and I can forget to pray about it completely, as if, as if I could do it myself. So foolish, so short-sighted. Okay, so this is point number one, God's in control of our works. It's a simple point, but it's actually got some very important implications for us. Let me reflect on two implications of the fact that God is the God who gives us everything. Firstly, it means that our work is not God. It's not our work that gives us our money. It's not our work that gives us our livelihood. It's not our work that keeps us alive. It's not our work that sustains us. It's God who gives us everything. And so it is God that we should serve, God that we should worship, not work. 
What that means is we shouldn't fit God in around the edges of our work. Instead, we should fit work in as a part of our whole life of service to God. Do you get the distinction? It's actually quite an important one. I think for many of us, because it takes so many of our waking hours, work becomes very central to our lives. It becomes the highest priority. And, and then Christian staff and other things, they kind of fit in as a bit of a hobby at the edges. It misunderstands God's sovereignty. We need to say, no, 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 God, you're the one who gives me everything. And so I commit my life to you. I commit everything that I do to you. And work is a part of what I do in my life live for you. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a very important way that people, God's people would acknowledge this, and that was through Sabbath. So one day in every seven, they would down tools, stop work. One year in every seven, they would down tools and stop work. And in every 50th year, they would down tools and stop work. That kind of sounds feasible for us with money in the bank or something, or something like that, but there's no money in the bank for them. They don't plant their crops and work. They've just got to live off whatever they might have saved from the years before or whatever the ground produces by itself. It's actually a very risky thing for them to do, to stop work. But the principle is clear. As they down tools, they say to God, it's not our work that gives us life. It is you. God is sovereign. That means work is not God. It also means, here's a second implication, that we shouldn't allow work to define our identity. I think many of us do define ourselves by our work. You ask us, who are you? And we'll say, I am a carpenter or Presbyterian minister or whatever it is that we are. We define ourselves by our work. It's one of the first questions we ask other people when we meet them. We ask, what do you do? And often what we do in our minds is we kind of grade people on the basis of their work. How do they fit in with me here? Friends, it's the wrong way of thinking. Wrong way of thinking. God is the one who gives us everything. He gives us work, ability, success. If we are successful, we ought to be humble and we ought to be thankful. We certainly shouldn't be arrogant or superior or look down on anybody else. On the other hand, if we're not successful, if we're struggling, well, we still need to keep humbly entrusting ourselves to God and serving him. We should find our identity not in what we do, but find our identity in being children of God. Okay, so there was point number one, the God of work. Uh, that brings us to point number two, point two. We should do godly work in a godly way. And we've already said from point number one that work should be part of our lives lived in service to God. And, and if, if work is part of our service to God, then we should do work that is pleasing to God in a way that is pleasing to God. So firstly, we should do godly work. Godly work. Uh, this next proverb says, it's a bit of a difficult one, but it says, even an unplowed field can be of help to poor people. Even if you do no work on your field, it'll produce some stuff that, 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 that poor people can eat. It'll help people. But if you are unjust, you, you sweep away any good to other people. You, you do harm to people instead. In other words, you'd be better off doing nothing than doing something unjust. Better doing no work than unjust work. From Proverbs 13. An unplowed field produces food for the poor... But injustice sweeps it away. 
Similarly, the next proverb says you're better off being poor but righteous rather than rich through being unjust. Proverbs 16. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Our next proverb is similar. talks about work that exploits the poor. From chapter 28, whoever increases wealth by taking interest or profit from the poor amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Our next, next proverb talks about fraudulent work. That's work that involves kind of tricking people out of money. Uh, the author says it'll harm you in the long run. From Proverbs 20, a food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. Our next proverb talks about uh, getting money from dishonesty, from lying. It says it'll come back to bite you. A fortune, Proverbs 21, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. Do you see the point? You don't want to do work that is unjust. You don't want to do work that brings harm to people. You don't want to do fraudulent or dishonest work. The next proverb, the next proverb talks about um, get-rich-quick schemes, things like uh, gambling or, or pyramid schemes or perhaps some kind of uh, um, shares as well, depending on how you do it. Uh, the NIV translates it as dishonest money. It doesn't quite get the sense, though. Tim Keller, uh, author Tim Keller, puts it this way. He says, The word dishonest translates a Hebrew phrase that means literally money out of the air, meaning wealth that comes suddenly rather than gradually. So the, the point of the proverb is this. If you spend your life thinking that lotto is going to fix your life, or the poker machines, or the next racehorse is going to fix your life. If you, if you spend your life thinking that the, the next pyramid scheme or get-rich-quick scheme is going to fix everything for you, you're likely to end up with nothing. Better off just chipping away, day by day, at faithful, useful, long-term work. And your outline from Proverbs 13. Dishonest money, that is money out of the air, dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. We ought to do godly work, not get-rich-quick stuff, not dishonest, unjust, immoral work. Do things that are pleasing to God and helpful to people. It's what we're thinking about the work that you do or the work that you are hoping to do. Is what you do something that brings benefit to people? Does it do good for other people? Does it make the world a better place? Are you making a positive contribution by what you do? It's important. We should do godly work. And also we should do our godly work in a godly way. We should work with integrity, Proverbs 10. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. We need to not be hypocrites, be... Um, as good as our word. We should work with honesty. Also work with honesty. Proverbs 11. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favour with him. Proverbs also talks about working skillfully, using your gifts. Chapter 22. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They'll not serve before officials of low rank. Or on the flip side, doing a bad job is like destroying things, being, being destructive. Chapter 18. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. Okay, integrity, honesty, skill. We should do godly work in a godly way. That was point number two. Uh, brings us to point number three. 
Point number three is diligence. Uh, Proverbs says a lot about the sluggard. Sluggard, great word. We don't use that word often enough, I don't think. It's not, it's a, the sluggard is not talking about a snail with no shell. Um, it's talking about a, a lazy person. Uh, the writer of Proverbs has very little sympathy for sluggards. And he says that laziness will bring poverty. Let's have a look at some of these uh, really, really neat verses. First, Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Chapter 10. Lazy hands make for poverty. But diligent hands bring wealth. Chapter 20, sluggards do not plough in season. So at harvest time they look but find nothing. Well, let me just give you one more. Chapter 24, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Sounds like my garden. Um, I, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Get the big idea? Laziness brings poverty. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, first, it means you've got to get out of bed. You've got to get yourself out of bed. Proverbs chapter 20. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you'll have food to spare. Son Joel finished the HSC last Tuesday afternoon. Well done, Joel. Wednesday morning, I got him out of bed at 7.30. I said, wake up, you got no job, you're a dull bludger, get a job, get a girlfriend, get yourself moving. <laughs> yeah, perhaps a little premature there. <laughs> Do not love sleep or you'll grow poor. Stay awake, you'll have food to spare. Also means you need to stop dreaming about it. Stop planning about it and just get on with it. Chapter 28. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. That also means you need to stop talking about it. Stop talking about it and get on with it. Chapter 14. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You've got to get out of bed. Stop dreaming. Stop talking. Do some work. Uh, the next proverb is an interesting one, a little bit of a difficult one, actually. It talks about, uh, I think the idea of it, it means investing in your business. So the idea is, is, it talks about oxen. It says, uh, if you don't have any oxen, you don't, the manger is empty. You don't, have to, you don't have to feed the oxen. You don't have to clean up after it. The place isn't a mess. But, but if you don't have an oxen, you're not going to get as good a harvest. So the idea is you have to invest in order to succeed. Uh, Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. You need to invest. And finally, you want to succeed, it means persevering. You've got to keep working, keep watching. You can't take your foot off the accelerator. You've got to keep on going. Chapter 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Are you a sluggard? Do you waste your life on stupid things like social media? Wasteful, pointless things like computer games or TV? 
do, do you waste your time shopping for things that you don't need? Are you, are you like, uh, like the, the son in um, the movie The Castle, are you an ideas man? <laughs> an ideas person. You're full of ideas, but you never actually get around to doing anything. Full of promises, full of words, but, but, but you never actually do anything constructive. Nothing wrong with resting, but are you lazy? If so, Proverbs says you're a fool. That's point number three. It's wise to be diligent with our work. That brings us to our fourth and final point, sacrifice. And the book of Proverbs says there are some things worth sacrificing for your work and to make money. For a start, you may need to sacrifice some of life's pleasures. Proverbs 23 do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. It's lovely to drink wine and eat meat, but sometimes you need to sacrifice pleasures like that to be successful in work. Uh, also, you may need to save, not just enjoy everything you have straight away, not just spend everything you have straight away. Chapter 21, the wise store up Choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Um, Proverbs also talks about how you need to get your work situation fixed up before you can worry about the comforts of home. You spend the whole time making yourself comfortable at home, but you've got no work, you can have nothing to eat. So you may need to sacrifice comfort for a while, maybe even live in a tent for a while or something like that, to, to, get, to get your work up and running. Proverbs 24. Put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. See the sacrifice there? There are some sacrifices worth making to be successful in your work. But this is where wisdom comes in. There are also, Proverbs says, some sacrifices that are not worth making for the sake of work and money. Some sacrifices that are not worth making for the sake of work and money. Uh, work, firstly, is not worth sacrificing a relationship with God. Uh, better to be poor and have a good relationship with God than to be rich in this world, but to have turmoil, no peace with God. But chapter 15. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. I think there's something we need to hear. Reminds me of that uh, rich bloke that Jesus talked about. Remember the guy who gets the abundant harvest and he goes, fantastic, I'm going to build big barns and then I'm going to have everything that I need and then I'm going to sit back and, and just as he's congratulating himself, God says, time for you to die. And he says, you're a fool. You're a fool, Jesus says, because he's rich towards himself but not rich towards God. I hope your work is not making you stay an immature Christian. I hope your work is not making you forsake meeting with God's people. Good on you for being here this evening. I hope your work is not stopping you from reading God's word or praying or serving. It's, it's not worth that sacrifice. 
are some other things not worth sacrificing? Chapter 22 says not worth sacrificing your good name for work. Chapter 22, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Also not worth sacrificing a harmonious family life for work or money. Chapter 17, better a dry crust with peace. Uh, sorry, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Um, sadly, this is a story I hear way too often, don't you? People work really hard to get ahead. They, 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 they invest everything in their career and, and making money. They ignore their spouse, ignore their children for the sake of the career, for the sake of getting the mortgage sorted out. They might make lots of money, might become very wealthy, but when their spouse hates them and their children don't know them, they soon realise it was a wrong sacrifice to make. Better to be poor and to have a wife and children who love you, have a harmonious family life, than to be wealthy and have a family who hate you. Well, here's another proverb. This is an interesting one. Uh, it may be worth making sacrifices for work and, and to have money, but a wise person's going to know when enough is enough. A wise person's going to know when to stop and enjoy life. I mean, really, how rich do you need to be? Chapter 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. All right, that's point number four. Did you get that point? About sacrifice, some sacrifices are worth making, but some are not. Okay, so four points. Four points from Proverbs. One, God's in control of our work. So two, we should do godly work in a godly way, working diligently, point three. And point four, wise about what we should and what we shouldn't sacrifice for the sake of work. It's actually very wise stuff, isn't it? keeps amazing me that this 2,900-year-old document is talking about today so accurately and so wisely. And as we come into the New Testament, we see that we're still called on to work. Of course, we can't achieve salvation through our works. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to save us by his grace. But still, the New Testament calls on us to work. Uh, Jesus himself was a worker. The New, Testament talks about, uh, the New Testament talks about being busy at home. That's good and godly work. Uh, it also talks about working to earn money. It says, if we're able to, we ought to work because we shouldn't, it's not loving to be a bludger. It's not loving to get into mischief or be a thief. And working means that we can be generous. So work is a loving thing to do. Now, the New Testament says there in your outline from 2 Thessalonians, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. New Testament calls on us to work. And, and then the New Testament also calls on us to a, a particular kind of work, a work that can only be done in this age, a work that is only relevant for people who live between the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus and his final return. Because in this time, there's a particular job we can do, which the New Testament calls labour in the Lord. That is, we can serve Jesus, uh, we can... Serve Jesus by bringing other people to know him and grow in maturity in him. And what the New Testament says is that this work, unlike any other work, is work that has eternal value. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's, he has victory over death. He lives forever. 
Those who trust in him live forever, and so our labour in the Lord is of eternal value. And your outline from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. All right, let me finish by summarising. I think the big idea of this whole thing, if I can just put it into one idea, is this. We need, to, we need to put work in its appropriate context in our lives. It's not God. It shouldn't be the centre. It shouldn't be what we worship. It should be part of our lives lived in the service of God. And with that in mind, we should, we should do work that is pleasing to God, godly work in a godly way. We should work hard, but remember that work is just one responsibility in our lives lived for God. And so we need to balance it with, with rest, with worship, with ministry, with family, with all of the other things. That is wise working. Friend, are you being wise about work? This is a lot of your life we're talking about. It's worth getting it right. So let's listen to God's wisdom and give work a right place in our service of God. Let's pray now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you've made us to be workers. Uh, we pray, Father, that you help us to be wise about our work, to work diligently, faithfully, doing worthwhile things. We pray that this might be a godly part of our lives lived for you. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be people who uh, labour in the Lord. And Father, we commit ourselves and our lives to you, knowing that you are our King. In Jesus' name, amen.